0: Hello, and welcome to episode number 162 of the DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and with me today is debut author Anna Bradley. We talk about what she did prior to being an author of historical romance, specifically that she was the curator and librarian for the House Library, and she specialized in acquiring rare books by women writers published between 1600 and 1830 for the library. We talk about what's better, old book smell or new car smell. Vetting old books, meeting authors that you admire, and of course, whether or not two librarians should be a verb, which it totally should. And absolutely, we talk about her upcoming debut, A Wicked Way to Win an Earl. This podcast was brought to you by Intermix, publisher of Hot Holiday Nights, by New York Times bestselling author J.C. Burton, downloaded on October 20th. And if you're thinking, hmm... I totally dig this podcast, and you would like to sponsor the transcript or the podcast? Email me, sarah at smartbitchestrashybooks.com. The music that you are listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater, and I will have information at the end of the podcast as to who this is and where you can download it. As always, I will have links in the podcast entry, better known as the show notes, about the books we talk about, and also links to the Chawton House Library, should you be wishing to check it out yourself. And now, on with the podcast. So let's start with having you introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what you do. Well, my name is Anna
1: Bradley, and I'm a debut author. I write, yay! Uh, yay! Congratulations. I write, I, thank you. Thank you. It's been quite a ride. Um, I write historical romance, Regency, and I have a book coming out November 3rd with Berkeley called A Wicked Way to Win an Earl. Excellent. Now, I have a copy of a lot of your
0: biography information. Right. Um If... If to librarian was a verb, you have librarianed in many locations.
1: I have, I have librarian, though, I want to, one thing that I feel like I have to clarify is I actually don't have a master's in library science. And I know that's, I don't want to misrepresent, you know, I'm, I have a master's degree in English lit, and I librarian for a private library, which is a little different than being like a a true librarian, you know, in a public in the public sense, like a university librarian, of course. So yes, and no, you know, it was one of those weird jobs, it's kind of hard to define. Yes. But you got to hold really cool books. I did, Sarah. It was so, it, it was like, I remember my, my director at the time saying this job is the only game in town like this. And it, it was so true. It was, it was a very um, unconventional job. It, it, you know, the biggest part of that job was acquiring rare books and so, and sort of, you know, making sure they're vetting them. It's called making sure everything's appropriate, you know, and um, making sure they're restored. There was a big restoration project, but yeah. And, it, at the end of the day, it was, you know, I got to handle these gorgeous, gilt-edged, leather-bound books. Oh, that's you know? horrible. It was awful. It was awful. And I, you know, and I mean, <laughs> these are by women writers who like, you know, these are people who I've read and admire. And I think that might have even been the best part of it was that just the literary part of it.
0: So right. tell me about this job, because I know you started working in this particular job
1: in around 1996, right? Right. Right, in August of 96 and it was it was this kind of the there was this project called the it's a it was called the House Library and it was started by um Sandy Lerner who is the one of the founders of the Bosack Kruger Foundation and she has all these things going on. She's an animal rights activist, but one of her big things was literature. She's a huge Jane Austen fan and um her point in, in developing the library was she wanted to get to the core of all these writers that came before Jane Austen mm-hmm. um, because she, her opinion was, and I actually agree with her to a great extent was that people think, some people think Jane Austen kind of popped out of nowhere and it's like, she's no. part of a long literary tradition, you know, and um, she wanted to get to the heart of that. And so the point of the library was to collect um, titles by women writers from 1600 up to through the Regency up to 1830. So it was, that was the goal. And the reason they hired me was I got lucky. Actually, I had a master's, I have a master's degree with a specialty in that era. And I happened to be in the right place at the right time. And, you know, it was one of those fortuitous things, right? It was, so, yeah.
0: So you ended up taking a job in the library, Mm -hmm. in the House library, and you had to go through and examine and catalog, basically, or did create a database of right. hundreds of rare books by women right. writers published exactly. from anywhere from 1600
1: to the 18 it's like 1850s. Right, exactly. 1830 was the cutoff date, but we had some other stuff, you know, but but the primary collection was 1600 to 1830. What did that look like? Oh my God, it was gorgeous. I used to, <laughs> go on the, I would look at my bookshelves and be like, no, this isn't, no, it's not Doesn't look good anymore, you know. My book. So I'm like, I need, I need leather bound, you know. I need gilt titles. You've been spoiled. Totally spoiled. Totally spoiled. (laughs) Um, But they look gorgeous. They, you know, they smell gorgeous. I, it's, you know, never mind that new car smell. That old book smell is way better. Way better. Way better. Even though, I mean, maybe some people wouldn't think so because there is just that faint, faint, faint smell of decay. I guess you know i I mean if you have too much of that smell it's right age that's probably a better way to put it um really distinctive and nothing else smells that way so it was it was pretty pretty amazing yeah it was good what did some of them look like
0: like what were some of the books that were just incredibly gorgeous
1: you know the ones that really got me were the ones with all the colored plates um and those weren't necessarily novels you know Um, The novels usually didn't have colored plates, like they'd have a a title page and there might be like a, what they call frontispiece, which is like a sketch or something, but Mm -hmm. even that was rare and it would be black and white. But some of those books, like the books on typography, the maps, like the books with the fold out maps in them, or, oh my God, or the colored plates. And, you know, you'd see this, there'd be these really thick pieces of paper, thick, thick paper with this colored plate on it. And then this little, um, flap that goes over this transparent paper that went mm. over it to keep the, to protect the plate. And some of them were amazing. Um, you know, and some of them, I don't know, gosh, I wish I could remember the term for this, but some of them, we only had a couple in our library that did this. They actually had, if you turn the book sideways, so you're looking at the page, you know, like, how do I explain this? But you're holding the binding back in the back of your hand and, the, and you're looking at the side of the book. Right. They're portraits or pictures painted on the on the pages on the, yeah, and it, and you could only really see them if you knew they were there and you kind of fanned it out a little bit. And there'd be like, you know, these gorgeous pictures of ships sailing on the water or these, you know, nature scenes. And I mean, it was just some of that stuff is incredible. I wish we still did that today.
0: That's amazing.
1: It was. It can was. You,
0: can you imagine like a, a a library of some of of like really really nicely
1: bound oh my God. classic romances? Like- oh my gosh, I would die. Ditto. I know. Would- I would, yeah. I would love this. I would love it too. I would, I would have to like roll around in there, you know, or sleep in there or something. But
0: So usually when books are that old, you have to keep them in a special room with humidity and wear white gloves. And did, and did you have to do all of that? Or are they kind of like, yep, they're here. They're fine.
1: Let's take a look we at did, them. We took really good care of them. We didn't do the white glove thing. But at the time I was at the time I was working there, the library was still closed. Like it wasn't, the House hadn't actually opened up at that point. Mm-hmm. So we were acquiring books, but we it wasn't really, it wasn't open to the public at all. You kind of had to know it was there. Like if people called me and said, can I come see, come see them? I would always, you know, welcome them in. But it wasn't like we had all these people coming in, looking at books, right? Mm-hmm. But they were in a, a locked, secured room, an air controlled room. And, um, you know, with, with plenty of air circulation between them. But, not not so much the white glove thing, though. That would have been cool. Yeah. Maybe I should have just worn white gloves myself. Then I, you know, and never mind. Make it Whatever. a style yeah, choice. Yeah, totally.
0: So were there any individual titles that you were like, you know, I would love to have this just, you know, in
1: my house? Yeah, there were. I mean, I think the ones that really appealed to me were, you know, I used to love to read the Anne Radcliffe titles. And she, she, because she, she never left England, Anne Radcliffe, but she had these incredible descriptions um, of nature and, you know, places she'd never visited. I'm like, you know, these women had some imagination. It takes some skill to be able to write that way when you've actually never seen these places, right? Mm-hmm. She wrote The Mysteries of Udolpho and The Italian and I would love to have had a couple of those books. And then the other ones were the ones that, like, writers like Sarah Fielding, Henry Fielding's sister, who we never really heard about. I never heard about her until I worked for the library. And it's like, There's this whole underground network of these women writers who people haven't heard of, you know, everybody's heard of Henry Fielding, very few people have heard of Sarah Fielding, but I think that's changing. I I think you're right. Did you read some of the books in the collection? You know, I did. I was, I was, I did read them. I couldn't, I couldn't really, you know, I, you know, it would have been great, you know, take one into the bathtub and read it, but they weren't, they weren't down with that at the library. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, but we had this project going. It was called the Novels Online Project. And it was part of the idea was to get a digital access to some of the really rare titles. Oh, and so we had this one of these projects I ran was we actually typed in the text of all these books um, wow. and then put them up on the website. So if you go to Chawton's website now, they're actually all still up there. And um, I don't know how many titles there were, but at least 20, 25, you know, and it was... Um, So I read some of those books. I read quite a few of those books, um, you know, proofread to make sure the typing was accurate. And that kind of thing. Yeah. So and some of them are, you know, it's just like anything, Sarah, like some of them are incredible and some of them aren't. Yep. Right. So but it's like so less has changed, I guess, than maybe people would think. But but yeah, to have that access was what what made that job so special.
0: Are there any that you would recommend readers go check out? Like this one was surprisingly awesome.
1: You know, I would there are, there are definitely authors I would say go check out. I wish I could remember a little bit better some of the individual titles, but authors like Ann Radcliffe, mm-hmm. Jane Porter, um again Sarah Fielding, uh oh gosh, there're just so many. Um Aphra Bain, though I think Aphra Bain, she was a lot earlier than the Regency. Yeah, she was a little bit earlier. Yeah, but I, and I think more people know about Aphra Bain now than than they did when I first started doing that job.
0: Yes, when I was in graduate school, um that would have been like around 1998, 1999. I, I did a course on Afra Ben, Fanny Burney, everybody oh, who Fanny predated Burney. Austin. Fanny Burney
1: was awesome. I love Fanny Burney. I'm glad you mentioned her because she slipped my mind. But people will say, you know, if I've read all of Jane Austen's books, what, who should I read? And she's always my go-to writer because definitely similarity there, right? Fanny all the way. And she's, yeah, she is one talented, that, she's a talented writer. I am pretty sure, although I have to check
0: this, that the earliest review that I wrote on Amazon was for a Fannie Bernie book. No, are you serious? Yes, I'm pretty what sure. I'm going to have to check. <laughs> I, I, I loved, like, there were some of the books that I had to read for that course where I was like, I'm so I mean- bored. i Yeah, yeah, so bored. You're still describing the grass; it's killing me here. I understand. I've got grass. We're on the same page. We have made this connection (laughs) through history, through grass. It's time to move on. Nope, more about the grass. Oh my god! And then you have to write a picture about. Oh, I got to write a paper now. Oh my god! About the grass, right? Yeah, it was. There was some where I was like, I am seriously so bored right now. But you know, you gotta read it because it was a sign. And when you're in a graduate seminar with four other people, yeah, yeah, there's no getting, there's no escape. You can't slack off. You gotta. Demonstrate
1: that you've read it, totally. But Fanny yep.
0: Burney was so much fun.
1: She is fun. I, the one that sticks out to me is Evelina. Um, the <gasps> yes. one, yes. She was the. This was the one where she had a guardian because she she didn't have any parents, so she was an orphan, and this gentleman had been appointed as her guardian. Do you remember that one? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and she's like this very innocent, kind of naive, sweet young thing, and it was great. Oh, it and the
0: thing <laughs> the thing that is so great about her is that she was just as skilled yeah. at characters, right? As she was at the plot.
1: Yeah, that's a that's so true and you know, same thing can be said of Austen. Yeah, I mean, I guess if if you don't have the character development, you really don't You know, I always I guess I always think of the character development as the first thing I think about when I write. Plot, I think about plot too, but I think about character first. And yeah,
0: I'm much more of a character-driven reader too. Me too,
1: right. I, I will catch myself skimming
0: to the dialogue, and the minute somebody says something that is not the way a person would speak, I'm like,
1: right. I'm over this. this right now.
0: Yeah, I totally hear that. I am the
1: same exact way.
0: Would Maria Edgeworth have been in your library Ooh, as well? Oh, yeah, she was. Yeah, yeah, Maria Edgeworth.
1: Yeah. I think it's, I don't know. You know what, I need to check this, but I think back then they pronounced it Mariah. Oh, but really? Not- I'm not sure though, Sarah, but yeah, I remember making that mistake, saying Maria, and then being corrected by somebody who knew a lot more than me about it.
0: Well, you know um, what? I'm happy to know that I pronounced it wrong because it's
1: not, mean, not the first time. Well, as soon as I as soon as I tell you that, of course, I'll find out that's not true. It's but, actually Maria, Maria Egeworth is what the problem is here. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, right. We got the wrong vowel.
1: They were both saying it wrong, right? Exactly. Somewhere... Maria Edgeworth is like, it's fine. You're saying my name. <laughs> right. I know. She's in her grave right now saying, hey, nobody appreciated me at the time, but they do now, right? So how do you vet a rare book? Like, what do you do to be like, yeah, that's legit or
0: no, you made that on the mimeograph machine. And I can totally tell.
1: <laughs> well, you can tell a lot by, I mean, the bindings might be, you, you look at the bindings first, or at least that's what I used to do. And, you know, you can tell whether the the leather is, contemporary to the period or whether it's been what they call rebacked or rebound, Mm -hmm. Um, you can usually, after you've looked at enough of them, you can see it because it it just looks, there's a certain look to it when it's older. But from the inside, um, it has to do with the way they cut the pages and what size the pages are. But have you heard the term signature for binding books? It's, uh, it's kind of complicated, but it's, they cut the pages, and then they gather them into what's called a signature, and they sew the signatures each in separately into the binding. And to vet, you, you, instead of looking at the page numbers, you, you look at the signatures, and they're all labeled A, B, C, D. So you count how many pages are in each signature. Mm-hmm. Um, because you could look at page numbers, but what if the page numbers are wrong, right? You'd never know if the book was actually missing a page, of course. right? So if you're buying a rare book, you need to look at to actually count how many pages are in the signature and look at it really carefully to make sure it's not actually missing a page. Um, And then the, uh, the other point to vetting is so that other people in other libraries can see what your book looks like. They'll read what's like this kind of formula for a book that's been vetted and they'll be able to see, you know, oh, well, we have this title, too, but our book doesn't have, you know, a half title. So now we know that piece is missing from our book, right? right? So th- it's that kind of thing. So it's part of it. Was um, the point is to to sort of help the scholarship along, not not necessarily scholarship, but help the rare book aspect of it along, so other people could get access to uh, right. what, what other libraries have, right? So, so it's
0: almost like you make an inventory <laughs> of the individual pieces of the book,
1: right? And it involves you know, like a book would. So let's say I ordered you know, um, 20 books from Sotheby's or Christie's, they come as you, sp- do. as you do. Yes. As you do. I don't do that anymore, unfortunately, but I used to, and, um, they come in and you, you literally go one book at a time and go through every single page and write down the condition of the book and anything that's wrong with it and, and vet it and explain, you know, write your little formula that says, you know, this is what, what's the, what the pages are in this book. This is how it looks. So. That's very cool. It was cool. It was one of the coolest parts. And I, you know, the thing about that was, I a rare books dealer taught me how to do that. You know, like I got there, I had no idea how to do it. I was like, la la la, these look good. You know, I mean, I was, I was literally like, very. I wasn't knowledgeable at all about rare books when I took that job. I knew about the literature, but not the books, and and that was a huge part of it. Um, and so I was lucky because a lot of people helped me along with that.
0: And those are those are artifacts of a very specific time and a and a trade that isn't practiced as much anymore.
1: Oh, I mean that's a really specialized skill. It's so specialized, Sarah, that like after the library moved to the UK, I couldn't find a job. <laughs> dude, was, no, dude, it's true. I was, I was, I here I was right. I didn't have a master's in library science and. um you know, English lit masters are a dime a dozen, so that's nothing. special. Oh yeah, I totally am one. How you doing? Right, right. Well, we, we, I think we found our niche, but man, it took me a long time. Yeah. Right. But uh,
0: blogging s- also a good niche. Just want to say well, that. Yeah. Just throw blogging. that out there.
1: Yeah. You, well, you know, I think you know something, something <laughs> a about little it, just a bit something. A little. Making that work. Um. But and I had all this book knowledge, but unless I was going to become a rare books dealer, which I wasn't, it was yeah. Kind of like, huh, what do I do now? Like there's no other job like this. What am I gonna do? You know, it was it was a weird phenomenon of of this job was the best, coolest thing I ever did. One of one of and um because of course I love being a writer too. It was definitely an odd phenomenon of where does it go? Where do I go from here? You yep. know?
0: Like I have done everything and I'm not in the UK. So now what?
1: Right. I'm not in the UK and I and I could have gone to the UK and I and I didn't because You know, for for a variety of reasons. And sometimes I still think about that and go, I wonder what would have happened if I had. But I should say, too, that like you can now people can go visit that library. It's in this historically significant building in Hampshire, England, Um, and the building itself where the library is housed is um, used to belong to Edward Austin Knight, who is Jane Austen's brother. Cool. So it has this, there's this whole historical connection to it. It really is the coolest project. Like I got to give Sandy Lerner credit. I mean, man, she thinks big, you know, I mean, this is a huge. Hey, go big
0: or go home. When you're talking what? about books,
1: just go, go, go... all the way. Right. And she has so many diverse interests, but yeah, if you go to this house now, I mean, it's just incredible. Have you been, have you gotten to visit? Oh yeah. I've been, I've been, I haven't been since I used to go quite a, quite a lot when the, when I was still working for the library, haven't been back since, um, since it opened as, you know, the center for the study of early English women writers, which is kind of a thorn in my side, you know, but it turns out it's harder to get to England from Oregon with kids and dogs and, husbands then i did it would be you know it's so true i know i'm in
0: jersey it's hard to get to england with kids and dogs and husbands
1: i know it's hard to really get out the door with kids and
0: dogs and husbands lord yes it's like my god i have like what what why why do i have an entire
1: like nursery full of stuff to th- oh my god i know i know and i'm like what are you what are you people doing like why is it taking you a 100 you know minutes to get out the door you've anyway. been tying your shoe for a half hour wow. exactly exactly <laughs>
0: and it's funny i've now we've traveled internationally with our kids so we've gotten it down when we're traveling together we all have one bag we we you know figure out where to do laundry so we can travel light and move quickly because if you want if you have little people with you you don't want to have one of your hands constantly occupied by a suitcase you want to have your hands free and when we were traveling this year i met somebody who was like yeah i had a baby two years ago and you know, we haven't been traveling and I'm like, there's still a pretty good amount of portable at that age. Like you can put oh them in a backpack God, and go. Yeah. Yes.
1: stroller. Oh
0: yeah. I'm so
1: glad I'm over that. When you're trying to like move everybody. Oy. Oh, no, I know it's, yeah, it's, it's tough. I, you know, my kids are eight and 10 now. So they're, so are they're mine. Oh, are they really? Yeah. So we remember like how the stroller the stroller days and the baby wipe days and the diaper days and those are over for me. But I mean, it's just I it turns them. into something else. I remember him, too. And I, it turns into a different kind of thing. Totally. But yeah. It turns into like taxi service. Man, people try to warn you about that when you nope. don't have kids. Man, that's true, isn't it's it? So and true. Drive
0: and have that- you noticed like strollers have
1: become space age? They're way better than they were when well, we had to lug them around, right? right?
0: I'm like, wow.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean,
0: like, I don't want another thing, child, well,
1: but. In your pocketbook now, you know, like.
0: Seriously, like... they're like those little pocket umbrellas. Press a button.
1: There's a stroller. That's <laughs> no, true. Like stand
0: back. I'm opening the stroller. Boom. Yes. <laughs> so much has changed. It has. It has. It has. So it has. I would really like to know. This mm-hmm. is the worst question to ask an author. So I apologize in advance. Oh, no. Tell us about your book. Oh, and you don't
1: have to give like the elevator pitch. Okay. So just, I'm really bad at that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. um, Me too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not like, I have a hard time shortening it up to the elevator pitch, Um, but I'll try to be, I'll try to be succinct here. Um, Well, it's, it's a book about, we have the hero and the heroine and, and there's a, there's a connection between them, a not a good one, a scandalous connection between them, though they've never met that has to do with their past, with her mother and his father, um and she's gone off to uh the the hero the heroine her name's Delia Somerset she's gone off to um through a series of of events that happen before the book starts she's gone off to a house party at this at this gentleman lord carlyle's house and the the brother is interested in her and he the the hero is like i don't think so and so it's um this this kind of game starts up between them where he's trying to get her out of there and expose her as a scandalous, you know, having a scandalous past. And meanwhile, she, not to be, you know, sort of shuffled off back to Surrey, where she's from, she decides, you know what? Somebody needs to teach this guy a lesson, and it's going to be me. Um, and so this this sort of game ensues between them, and it's it's all very cat and mouse and chess-like. I guess that's like a, a really bad description of what it is, but... So there's a house party, house party yeah which yeah. is always good for some I excellent
0: forced proximity
1: i know the house party i love the house party i love house party books that's one of my you were talking about you talk about your catnip yes. that's my cat i have a little bit of a house party catnip thing going on i yeah. love
0: house parties in especially because it they're often very removed from society
1: mm-hmm. so they
0: are their own society they don't go right anywhere.
1: Right. And I mean, this is the social element to any kind of historical Regency, like there has to be that piece there. And in this book, and I would, I, I guess for all my books that I've written out there, um, the social, the, the society is really like almost another character in the book. Yes. Well, the, um,
0: part of the attraction, I think, especially for Regency and Georgian and also Victorian is the mm-hmm conflict inherent in the social rules like y'all are not supposed to be together except that we're trying to get you together but you can't actually be
1: together or be in the same room alone together except that that's what we want to happen except that it shouldn't happen it shouldn't happen but of course it's going to happen but somebody's gonna you know get some fallout from that usually the heroine of course but yeah no it's it's almost like this built-in pressure it's it does it's a it's a nice little tension thing that you can use as a writer you know, to, mm-hmm. to kind of help along with both characterization and plot. Cause it's like, well, are these readers, are these characters gonna care about this? Are they gonna care about it at first, this whole social element? Or, and then by the end of the book, they're not gonna care anymore. You yeah. know, it's, it, it becomes sort of an interesting, it's a good vehicle, I guess I'd say. I completely agree. Ooh. What are some of your favorite things about Delia, your her- heroine? I like that she's, you know, I love a really powerful heroine. Ditto. Uh, uh, yeah. And I mean, like with historical, they're not powerful in the sense that they would be say, like, they're not vampire slaying, you know, thigh high boot wearing, you know, whip holding. They're not, they're not powerful in that way, but you, so you have to find a way to make them powerful. That's believable within the time frame, Right. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and she's very, she's impetuous, outspoken, very willful, not necessarily a good thing, but, um, it can be both a good thing and a bad thing, I guess. Um, and she has her flaws too, but she's so, I would say she's flawed. Um, all my characters are flawed. They usually have a deep character arc, or at least that's what I'm going for. They're very flawed at the start and then they sort of change as the book goes along. But she is, she just isn't going to, she just isn't going to let him push her around, even though he's got the power, right? He's the Earl, he's the wealthy one. she ha- She's kind of this upstart. She's this nobody mm-hmm. from Surrey. And with the added problem of having the scandalous past, right? Mm-hmm. But none of it, none of it ends up, none of it squashes her. None of it crushes her, right? She just keeps kind of figuring out a way, you know, there's this, I guess there's this personal dignity there. I, that would be my favorite thing about her. She won't let him, despite the disparity in their power, she won't let him crush her.
0: It's always fascinating to me when there is a heroine who, and this happens in contemporary times as well, mm-hmm. where society generally is say, says you should feel this way about this part of your personality, or you should feel right. this way about your past. And the heroine's so like, women, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, no,
1: actually I don't. You know? <clears throat> yeah. No, I don't feel that way. Right. I'm like, I'm defy, I defy the role, I guess. Yeah. She defies the role. Right. Yep. There's especially, which is especially a powerful thing when you're, you know, dealing with historical, right. Yep. Cause the role is so narrow for women. They, you know, they didn't have a lot of options. So it's like, how do you, how do you crawl out of that little trap, you know? And she finds a way. She doesn't know she's finding a way, but she does find a way. So can you say what the scandal of her past is? Oh, yes. I'll say that, Sarah. So her, his father, she was sort of, her her mother was the belle of her season. She was the, the diamond of the first water, the one everybody wanted to marry. And his father was engaged to her and she jilted him publicly, at this sort of masquerade ball, she, she runs out on him to marry this, this captain um, in Her Majesty's service who is a nobody, who's a total nobody. So she humiliates the family. Um, and, it, and it leads to other problems for that family. So by the time we get to Delia and Alex' generation, there's all this past mess that's occurred um, from this, from th- there's fallout from it. Right. And yeah. in that particular society...
0: Um, the actions of the parents
1: mm-hmm. are often yes.
0: delivered in consequence onto the kids,
1: totally. I mean, you see that with the illegitimate kids right we How many heroes have we seen that are illegitimate or heroines too mm-hmm. and and you see them struggling in this society it 's sort of that same um process where she's she 's kind of she 's struggling to overcome this thing, but he 's also struggling to overcome his own issues because his father, the father. Was it was a total bastard? Can I say that? Can I say bastard? I don't know. Dude, I, we I don't have, know if I should say that.
0: We have no FCC regulations here, yeah. so say whatever
1: you like. Well, and I shouldn't say bastard because he wasn't in the he wasn't illegitimate. But he was, he was just a
0: total turd. He was a
1: right a horrible, horrible man. And he did you know? There's all this fallout because now Alec has just become the Earl because the father's died three years before, and now he's kind of. Uh, how do I be the Earl without becoming just like my father was, right? And and so he's ne- he's having internal trouble with his family too because he's not the ma- he's not the same person he used to be. Um, and a lot of my books are like that. Like I went to a, a lecture at um, RWA this past time, um, the one in in New York mm-hmm. about the core story, and I was it, I learned a lot at it because I I realized I do have a core story. I'd never called it that before, or knew that's what it was. But my characters tend to all be kind of searching for this identity or pretending to be something they're not or trying to struggle to, to become this certain person who isn't the person they really are. Mm-hmm. And that kind of that's basically what's going on with Alec. He's the, the hero.
0: And, they're, and the characters have to reconcile right. the persona that comes with expectations versus the person that they actually are.
1: And then the person they actually are maybe somebody who would be you know scorned by society, and they have to learn to deal with that, right? Yes. So yeah, yeah. Does the whole book take place at the house party? Um, they they leave at the very end, but most of the book takes place at the house party. Yeah, at oh, the very boy. end they go back to London, but that's like in the last couple of chapters.
0: So this is a series, right?
1: It is. It's the first in a in a four book series. Um, I'm Who's writing next. Book. Next, you mean the the next book? It's yes. called *Season of Ruin*, and it's coming out um, in June of 2016 from Berkeley. And it is the hero, the hero's brother, and the heroine's sister. Oh, so Lily, Lily? Oh, yeah, yes, Lily and Robin. And the thing that makes that starts off interesting with that is that Robin actually had this kind of attraction interest in Lily's sister right? Delia before Mm -hmm. she marries his brother. So there's that thing to get over with because, you know, nobody wants to, to, you know, do you really like my sister better than me? Nobody wants that. No,
0: nobody wants to be second choice.
1: Nobody wants to be second choice. And then that one takes place in London. So fun. Yeah, it was a fun one to write. Of course, I was panicking the whole time I was writing it because it was my second book. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, it's not what if it's not as good? What if it's not as good? I was such a basket case writing that book. But then it, it I actually love the way it turned out. I was really happy with it in the end. Lots of suffering and pain to get there, but I was happy with it.
0: It's kind of scary to write a second book because you're like, I know I did it the first
1: time, mm-hmm. but I don't well, quite remember it, how I did that. I what know. if that was a fluke? Right. Maybe I only have one, you know. Maybe there's only one. I don't have a second one, but No, nope. yeah.
0: you got two and two more. I got more.
1: two. I, got th- I actually have written the third one as well, um, and I'm writing the fourth one, which is giving me a, causing me fits at the moment, but It'll it'll eventually you know, be done, I hope.
0: If all of the writers who I follow on Twitter are are telling the truth, and I presume that they are, that's all part of the process.
1: Oh my gosh, it is. It's painful, right? Yep. <clears throat> I teach writing too, and um I have students say, Well it's not, you know, it's not coming together. I mean, I can't figure it out and it and I'll say, you know, that's exactly what's supposed to be happening. Yep. It's painful, right? You gotta go through this whole it's all a big muddle in your head and before you can get to the to the end point, right?
0: Yes, and very few people can produce an enormous amount of words logically in the correct story order with characters who do it all right the first time. Like, I haven't met that person. I assume they exist. Oh, my God. They I make perfect if- baked goods. Probably their houses are spotless. <laughs> their cats never puke on the rug. I mean, I don't. I don't know this person. I'm just presuming they exist.
1: No, that's awesome. No, I don't know them, and it's certainly not me. That's for sure. In fact, I think the cat might have puked on the rug even now. So it's perfect. Yeah, I it definitely, definitely not me. But I, I'm sure there are people like that. Uh, <laughs> But I don't, I hate it when I, you know, I, I like it when writers are honest in their social media where they talk about, you know, this is really hard. Like it doesn't just flow out of me and it's all perfect. It's actually a huge amount of work and it's complicated and you tear your hair out and that's the truth of it. Right. Yep. Um, and you know, people who are, who are aspiring writers and struggling writers should know the truth, which is that you are gonna tear your hair out. It's just the way it is. And it, you're not doing anything wrong, if that's what's happening with you, no, nope, you know? that's totally normal. Yeah, totally normal. So, the third book—can you tell us a little bit about it? I can. Yeah, the third book deals with Alec and Robin's sister Eleanor, or Ellie, um, and that's um, a blackmail marriage plot. It's kind of oh. off. I know. I know. I had so much fun writing that. And the hero is is an Outlander. He's an outsider. He's not in either of the two books. He kind of pops up out of nowhere, um, and he has his his very very you know understandable reasons for wanting eleanor to marry him and she has she's a a very sort of a blue stocking character in Mm -hmm. the sense that she's extremely clever and she doesn't want to marry why should she marry right she's kind of like emma from from austin she's she's wealthy enough she has freedom she doesn't want to give up her freedom to marry somebody certainly not somebody who's trying to force her into it um and so therein therein lies the conflict and they they go back and forth you know trying to Figure out how that, you know, trying to. Everybody wants what they want and they don't want the same thing. So. That sounds fun. Oh, thank you. Ooh. I like the blackmail one. I like the blackmail trope. It's a good one.
0: Blackmail plots. Blackmail those, plot. Yeah. Those
1: are fun because they give the
0: villain an action and a reason. Right. Like you right. already have to know why the bad guy or girl is the bad person. Right. Why be, are they doing it? Because their action is integral to the plot. It's not like they're evil just because.
1: No, no, definitely not evil, evil just because, and I and I don't, I don't, yeah, I'm really, I try to be really careful about, there has to be a reason for everything, I mean, who, I don't know who it was, I read a lot of craft books, so I can't think of who this was, but it's, you know, that, the, the old writing advice, if there's not a reason for it, it shouldn't be in the book, right, so right. he, he has his, and his reasons are justified to a great extent, not to her, right, but he has his reasons, and, um, We don't, I mean, we don't like him at first because he's doing a bad thing. I mean, Blackmail is a bad thing. But as the book goes on, we realize he is doing a bad thing, but he has, but for the right reason. He's making a mistake. Right. But he's, but he's doing it for a, a, for the right reason. Um, And he's not a bad person, but he's making a mistake. And it's a mistake that's going to come back to haunt him if he actually ends up making it. Right. So it's, it's his, his sort of, Goodness or his moral his ability to like himself hangs on whether he's going to end up doing this thing,
0: right? And it's almost more admirable to have Someone who is making a bad choice for a legitimate reason, right? That's I mean you can relate to that
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, I hope I hope you I hope the reader relates to him um but yeah, I mean, it's a struggle, right? That, that's, that's in essence what all the characters are, what I'm trying to make sure all the characters in my books do, they're always in the middle of some kind of struggle and it's not just with the other character but with themselves. Um, and, and that's what his thing is. And actually the, the heroine, Allie, is also struggling against herself because she has to ask herself, how far will I go to get out of marrying this guy? What, who am I? What kind of person am I? Am I, am I willing to do you know X, Y, Z to get my way when I know it's going to hurt other people. Right. Right. So it's, so she has her own struggle with her identity as well.
0: And action is always more interesting to me than inertia.
1: Right. Like, I'm going
0: to do this even though I'm really pretty sure that this is not the best thing to do. It's the best option. (laughs) Right. This is the best option I've got. It's better than I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Like, make a choice.
1: No, you got to make a choice. And it's it's so much more fun when they make the wrong choice. Right. When they're making the wrong choice. Because that makes a mess. That makes a mess. I mean, what was it? Who was it said? I think it was Nabokov. Get him up a tree and throw rocks at him. Like, be mean to your characters. Yes. And that's exactly like torture them, right? And even though sometimes, as a writer, you're like, oh boy, I am, I am really sort of hanging them by the neck right now. That, that's that's where the interesting part is, right? When they're in, they're tortured, not just by the other character, but by themselves. You yes. Know? Like, yeah. That, that's what I strive for, um, you know, in the books. That's what I really want to happen. And it's the thing I'm always kind of keeping my eye on, you know?
0: Yes. It, it's like um, the the Billy Wilder three-act story. Put your character in a tree. Set fire right. to the tree. Right. Get your characters out of the Just tree. them back
1: down. Yes. But don't get them back down till the very end. Because yes. once they're down, You've, the you're... tension is gone, right? Yes. So. And that's,
0: that's one of the things I struggle with. <laughs> Um, I struggle with because when the tension is gone, whatever tension has been resolved, like I have to push myself to keep reading if the tension ends too early.
1: Oh my God, Sarah, me too. That's exactly how I feel. And I'm so hyper aware of that. Um, as you know, I think, you know, if you're a reader, I mean, I read romance too and have for years and. You know, you kind of get a really strong sense of what you really, what bothers you and what you really like. And, and that's one of the, th- I don't like the too early resolution because then I'm kind of like, well, what am I, you know, what are these last 50 pages for? Yep, um, yeah. So I, I, was, I was joking around with my sister. I said, you know, once everybody's climax, get out of there, right? Like it, once we're done, ever get out. You yep. know, we're done. Yeah. So not a lot of pages happen after it's been resolved. Um, because in, the tension's gone. Tension's gone, right. There's, no, there's only so much afterglow
0: that you can create. So true. So true. So what are some of the romances that you read and love and oh recommend?
1: My oh, my God. There's so many. Who That's do okay. I, uh, you know who I'm reading right now? Who Tell I'm, me. Is, is Meredith Duran. I loved – Fool Me Twice. After oh, she's so up, talented. Oh, and I lo- I thought that book was excellent. I just loved it. I loved the character development. She's a terrific writer. And so now I'm on this Meredith Duran binge. And That's it's not a bad thing. Night, it's not a bad thing except I won't go to sleep. And then I get up, I'm like, oh, my <laughs> God, I need to write, like, 2,000 words today. And I, like, instead I fall asleep on the couch and I'm, like, drooling on myself, you know? I'm very unproductive, but... So I'm really into her right now. Um, other readers, I really I love, I love Eloisa James. I love Cressley Cole. She doesn't write um, – histor- she has a couple historicals, but mostly she writes paranormal now. Yes. Love her. Um, Julianne Long has always been a favorite of mine. I love the Pennyroyal Green series. Me too. Um, God, there's so many. Who else have I been reading? Liz Carlisle. Um, who else? Gosh, Tessa Dare. Just I have so many influences. Madeline Hunter, who I got to meet, at, I've met a couple of these people at RWA, and of course I'm like, oh, I'm such a dork, but it's it's a big, uh, it's such a, it really is an honor to get to meet them. You know, I've been reading their books and admiring their writing, and you know, suddenly they're standing there, and you're like, uh, 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 I have nothing cool to say. <laughs> you know, I'm a dork I don't have anything to say
0: that happens to me pretty often and I also know really? that it happens to them too so I try to take comfort in the fact well okay. I, I I've I've I once uh was asked to speak at a seminar that was going on at Yale which is the oh. closest I was ever going to get to getting into Yale <laughs> and uh, Lauren Willig and Kara Elliott were teaching a course and Ooh. they had invited up a panel of um me and uh, her editor, Carrie Farron, mm-hmm. a couple of authors. And I meet this nice woman and her husband and we're waiting by the door where we were told to go in right? and we're chatting. And you know, the, 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 the actual visual of, of Yale is completely unique. Like it's so really? very Gothic and so self-contained oh. that you walk in and you're like, I am in another world right now. Oh, that's so neat. So I'm standing there, we're talking about the building and Lauren Willock walks up and says, oh, I see you met Loretta Chase. Oh my god! Oh my god! Loretta Chase, of course. I And so I'm Where standing are? there, and I make the most unattractive noise ever. <laughs> like I'm gasping, I'm, my my brain has completely short circuited. And and Loretta looks at me. She goes, "Are are you okay?" And I'm like, You're "Fanning yourself, kind right kind ki- kinda kinda okay. Yeah." Um, and I seriously, like, I could not contain myself. It was so embarrassing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, you know, that, I love that story. I think, do you know, I think we all have one of those too. Oh yeah. Chase is fantastic. I love her too. I have a funny one about Nalini Singh. So this is, I last year, my first RWA was, was San Antonio. And I pull, I, we got in, I got in on a flight. I was at the airport and outside waiting. And this very nice lady says to me, I'm going to, you know, we're both going, we figure out we're both going to the same place. Do we want to share a cab? So we get in the cab together, and it and you know I ask her name, Nalini Singh. I give her my name. I'm such a newbie; I don't even know who she is. Like I just am. I just don't know who she is. And we're talking away, and it's it's all very. She's the most charming person. She and, is very oh, nice. Such a lovely lady, and um, you know, she's kind of giving me some advice, and we're talking about word counts, and she's saying, "Oh, I think it would be really hard to write historical," and I'm like, "But I think it's really hard to write paranormal," and blah blah blah. Of course, I find out afterwards who Nalini Singh is. <laughs> I, I'm like, oh my God, I just took a cab with Nalini Singh. At least I wasn't a complete dork because I didn't even know who I was talking to. Well, I went up to her, this RWA, and I reminded her of that, thinking she's never going to remember. But she did remember. And we were kind of <laughs> laughing about it. She, and she has the same editor at Berkeley I do. I'm like, oh my God, it was fate. It was How weird. you know? Oh, that's funny. Because that was before I even had an editor. I had an agent at that point, but not a book deal. And so I was like... You know how weird that I would meet her, then later would be signed by the same editor at Berkeley that does does her books.
0: Well, then like it was clearly meant to be. You guys are going to be like best friends.
1: I don't know. She's got yeah, maybe she's she's a it was such a nice lady. I loved her speech at um in New York. I thought she I think she's great. She so. is
0: one of the people who is genuinely nice and yes. you can tell like there's yes. a certain warmth. Yes. There's a lot of writers like that. I mean, I remember yeah. at RT in Kansas City, there was a chat with Julie Garwood and Jude Devereux and like oh. everyone in the room was barely keeping it together. Oh, like, right. I, I stood up to ask a question and my mouth went dry and I was like, <laughs> I'm barely holding myself together. My, my inner 13-year-old <laughs> is losing her mind. <laughs> And yet both of them are the most charming, welcoming, just, you can talk to them and you're actually speaking to a real person. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a completely different kind of celebrity culture.
1: It is. You're so right. That's a good way to put it. There's sort of, especially
0: at conferences like RWA and RT, there's not a lot of separation. No. Like you're going to sit at the bar and you're going to turn around and there's, you know, there's Nora Roberts or there's Eloisa James or there's Julia Quinn. And it's just, and it's, there's, it's a completely different kind of interaction.
1: It really is. And it's like, you know, the more I read about sort of different, I think, you know, romance writers stand out in that way. Yes. Are nice. They are very encouraging to other writers, newer writers. Um, there's none of that kind of backbiting or snarky you hear. I mean, I won't say no. of course, every community has some of that, but in general, very little of that in the romance community. And I love it. It's very pro, pro women, pro writer, you know, like everybody's kind of helping each other. And that's a, that's a really nice thing.
0: I also think that part of the, uh, part of the, the power of it is that, When you're in a community that has been denigrated by the outside so long, you know you're going to take care of each other, right? Because you can't you can't really expect anyone else outside the community to do what needs to be done. So you're going to do it yourself.
1: Yeah, Sarah, that's so true. And God, yeah, yeah, it's you know, it's funny. I've only just started experiencing some of that denigration because you know the book. I was when I wrote the book, I did it totally in secret. My husband didn't even know I was writing the book. He's like, "Why are you always on your computer?" I'm like, "I'm just doing stuff, you know, just working." yeah, just working. And then, um, when it actually started happening and, and I started telling people, of course, my dear friends were nothing but support. They were excited, but some people are very, uh, you know, Oh, it's romance, as if, as if that means I didn't actually write a book. Do yes. you know what I mean? It's, or as if somehow that's I don't like, I'm not really a writer. And right. I'm, and I think, well, why don't you, you, know, let's, you go sit down and you see if you can do it. Right. I'll uh, write uh, one of
0: those this weekend. Oh, really?
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll that. write it this weekend. Right. So, um, it's been interesting. Uh, I really, yeah, I really have a problem with that. And, but I mean, I'm sure every writer has had, every romance writer has experienced that on some level. I'm sure.
0: Yep.
1: It's kind of a surprise when you first experience it.
0: And it's a hard choice whether or not to to just be like, yeah, I write romance and sort of just sort of steal yourself and be ready for it. Totally. Or to be like, yeah, I, I, um, I, it's fiction. It's right. Fiction. I, it's, I, yeah. and I wrote I just, a novel that's fictional.
1: Right, fictional novel. That's what I wrote. I'm just like I write. I write romance. I write historical romance, and then I just wait to see. You know, yep. You just sort of like okay, totally. Right, you got to
0: own it. (laughs) I um, I have a a, a cousin of that reaction because I my full time job is running a blog about romance novels, and that's like a double whammy of wait, you what? Oh, that's a real job. Like yes, isn't
1: that amazing? It it is when it's smart bitches, trashy books. Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) Yeah, no, I know. And then there's, oh my God, Sarah, the other thing that is, and I'm still trying to figure this, I'm still struggling with this is the sex part of it, right? Because my book is pretty hot. Like it definitely has some explicit scenes. And I'm like, good Lord, the mothers at my kids' school are going to read this. Yeah. They're gonna be like, bowm, geez, bowm, you know, yeah. I don't know what they're gonna do, and then and then my mother, who my like almost eighty year old mother, says to me, "The bridge ladies can't wait to read your book." And I'm going, "Oh my god, not the bridge ladies, <laughs> not the eighty year old bridge ladies."
0: You and know, they read lots of it, just like the, your do. book.
1: And, but it's it's this weird like kind of exposure, and I'm like, "Mom, you know, the book has you know." And she's like, "Ah, whatever." They know. I'm like, "Okay, what well, you know? There's no point worrying about it, but." Man, that's been a weird, it's a weird feeling.
0: It's a very weird feeling, especially because you never know what reaction you're going to get to the sexual content or even just the sexual discussions. And I have to remember, like when I'm talking to people, the language that I use to discuss sexuality online You know, Mm -hmm. I can't talk about things like that with real people. Like, I'd scare the hell out of them. It can't be as frank, right? So seriously, there's, like, very little use of Mighty Wang in my real life (laughs)
1: conversations. Which is a crime, you know, really, when you think about it. There there needs to be
0: Mighty Wang and the magic hoo-ha. Right, the magic (laughs) That's one of my favorite ones. Yeah, Yeah. I'm a big fan of the magic hoo-ha. The magic hoo-ha is a, yeah. Yeah. So, do you have any book recommendations for people of things that you have a book that you wish people more more people knew about? Anything you want to suggest?
1: Um, well, like I said, Meredith Duran, but I think pretty much everybody's aware of that one at this point. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, oh gosh, I'm trying to think. Of course, I will think of a hundred of them as soon as I get off with you. Um, of I just um, who is like sort of? God, I guess. This is terrible because most of the writers I'm reading right now are pretty well-known. That's not a terrible thing. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. I should be doing more. Oh, you know you know who I read actually recently that I really enjoyed was Jessica Peterson. Really? Um, yeah. She has a book. Uh, it's the Hope Diamond trilogy. She's got a trilogy. She's with Berkeley as well. And the first one is called The Millionaire Rogue. And I read that and I, I think she's very talented. She ha- She does... You know how you're kind of drawn sometimes to people who do the thing really well that you don't do as well? Yep. I, I feel like that with her. She's really good at description and um, her books are very rich in detail. And I, I won't say that I don't, I'm not trying to say I don't do that well, but it's harder for me to do that. Um, and she seems to just have such a natural, the book had such a natural ability to, to sort of capture you with some of that description and the, these really, really nice detail. And she, I, I mean, I'm not sure how new she is, but she's... I think the whole trilogy's out. I think you can get all three of the books now. But um, I'm you not. You really like that one? I did like it. Yeah, I did like it. Who else have I been reading? Um, hmm. Terrible. I can't think of anybody else.
0: That's okay. It's them. a horrible question. The minute you think, no, of it, it's like, not. God, what? Oh uh, crap!
1: <laughs> like I seriously will think of twenty of them as soon as we get off the phone. But. Of course. And that is all for
0: this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you're looking for some of the books we talked about, and I'm sure that you are, I will have links to all of them in the show notes, also known as the podcast entry at smartbitchestrashybooks.com. I want to thank Anna Bradley for taking the time to talk to us. And if you have questions for me or for her, you can email the podcast at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. This podcast, speaking of the word podcast, which i said like eight times, so I'm going to say some more. Yay! This podcast was brought to you by Intermix, publisher of Hot Holiday Nights by New York Times bestselling author J.C. Burton. Download it on October 20th. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. You can find her on Twitter, always, at Sassy Outwater. This is Michael McGoldrick. This is Mackerel and Tatties from his album Aurora. You can find it on Amazon or iTunes. And if you would like to sponsor the podcast or the transcript, you can email me at sarah at com. In the meantime, on behalf of Anna and Jane and myself, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend.